Welcome to this next episode of Clinically Pressed. On this episode, we have Michael Borst, uh, ultra-distance runner, physical therapy student currently, as we released this episode, just about finishing up, an all-around really impressive athlete and clinician. Uh, Michael does a little bit of everything and does it extremely well. Uh, it's just, again, unbelievably impressive what he's able to pack in in between his training, his coaching. Uh, Michael has done a couple... 24-hour races which is really 100 miles which he did well under 24 hours but he's just it's a great episode to listen to and just a lot of different things and ideas and if you're into anything um, extreme endurance or extreme ultra distance running uh, this is definitely an episode worth checking out Uh, this episode is brought to you by in partnership with paragon fitness and nutrition Uh, go check them out they have some great stuff that uh, would benefit ultra-distance runners from their omegas to their vitamin D to the flame-off for the constant inflammation that you'll be inflicting upon yourself. I use CP, or code CP15, CP15, for 15% off at checkout. And again, check out their stuff and also our monthly installments of a Clinically Paragon discussion where we cover some of the hottest topics on supplements, health, and nutrition. Enjoy the episode. On this episode of Clinically Press, we have Michael Borst. Uh, Michael, I don't even know where to begin on terms of what he does. Um, I've known him through athletic training at UW Lacrosse, both as student and as colleague. Um, the guy has done some pretty incredible stuff on both athletic side and just in his short career. And so, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks, and man. yeah, if you want to just give some more backstory. <laughs> On um, so let's see um, early in high school I, I kind of got into both the athletic training and physical therapy stuff I started looking into it as a potential career um, at that time I was also wrestling and um, competitively running and cross country and track um, so I started kind of really getting into running probably my junior senior year with track and cross country started putting in a lot of summer miles starting to think that I was you know this is something I'd, I'd want to keep doing um, and then I actually so I hit my junior year of high school I actually came here for the summer camp for athletic training it was my first exposure to lacrosse fell in love with the area um, fell in love with athletic training as a profession decided I wanted to come here for school and I think Coming here for school was probably what has provided most direction in my career and and in running um, because I, while here during my freshman year, I met uh, Jake Hagee, who is a physical therapist with Dynamic Physiotherapy, Um, but at the time he was going through undergrad here and we started running together and talking and he was actually the first person that convinced me to start going into ultra marathons, which is where I've definitely ventured and doing those really long distance races. Um, 
So we did our first ultra together um, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year. At How long Cross. is an ultra? Anything over a marathon. So okay. anything, well, typically it'll start at 50K, so 31 miles, and then 50 mile, 100K, 100 mile, those are kind of the okay. main distances. Um, but then they have longer races and stuff like that as well. Um, so yeah, we did a 50K actually down in Devil's Lake, and I was lucky enough to win it, and he took second, and we were like, this is kind of cool. So we signed up for a 50 miler two weeks later, and did our first 50 miler, the Voyager 50 up in Duluth, and we flip-flopped, so he won and I took second, and we're like, I, I think we found something we're kind of good at, maybe we should keep pursuing this, and so it's just kind of grown from there, and now Jake's made a career out of treating runners and in the community with Dynamic, and I hope to potentially join him and do the same, so. Awesome. Yeah. Did you ever think about running in college? Did, I, did, yes. In the process of high school, did that come up? Yeah, I, it Obviously definitely... Obviously a 10K guy, most yes, likely. Yeah. Cross country. Yep. It definitely did, um, especially... So during my senior year of high school, I... I'd had a really bad junior cross country season, and so I didn't actually do track my junior year of high school. I was... I got really into wrestling. I did a lot of off-season wrestling stuff instead of doing track. Um, but the track coach still wanted me to run, so during he was also the cross-country coach. And so during my senior year of cross-country, he was like, "Hey, you know, I really want you out for track. So, um, like, what can I do to make sure you go out?" And I'm like, "Well, I really want to run a marathon. So um, maybe if you help me train for one of those, then I'll do track." And he said, "Deal." So my entire senior year of track was actually devoted to marathon training. Um, I wasn't really doing a lot of traditional track workouts. And I actually had my, by far my best track season hmm. doing those longer distances. So I learned I kind of thrived on that. Um, it's the biggest, is it two mile? Yep. Is there anything above the two mile? Not, no, in, not in high school track. Not in high no. school, okay. Yeah, so during that time, because I found out that I, you know, if I do these harder workouts and longer workouts, I can actually get a little faster. There was definitely a part of me that wanted to run for uh, for UWL because I knew I wanted to come here. But being in the AT program, especially that freshman year, that rookie mm -hmm. observational year, because so much rides on performing well so that you can actually get into the program and right. continue the way it was set up, um, I was like, well, I need to focus on that first, see if I get into the program. If I wouldn't have made it into the AT program, I potentially sophomore year on. I might have tried out for the team. But Just going pretty PT then? Yep. Ah. There was a chance. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. I figured out young. Yeah, I like to think so. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know I, what AT was till my freshman orientation at Madison. Mm. Never had seen it. Didn't have it in high school. No, no kidding. One knew I wanted to go into kinesiology, which I saw on the outside of a strength room and conditioning room. Wow. And so I went there and I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. The rest is history. The rest is history. It yeah. helped having a mom that was a school counselor. She oh, knew a little sure. bit. Yeah. yeah, she pushed me to to find out what I wanted to do. Very cool. Uh, well, yeah. you know what you love, and where'd you go to high right. school? Slinger, Slinger High School Slinger. down in kind of southeast Wisconsin. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. So it also and it also helped having my my dad enjoy running as well. He. Yeah, I've seen you do a lot with him yeah he he was really good in high school and then didn't run in college or anything but um when i started getting more and more into running kind of later high school he started running more with me and then my first marathon he agreed to do that with me and so 
my first marathon was his first marathon, and now he's he actually did his first 100K last week. So wow. he's, he's bumped up the distance as well now. That is a long ways. Yeah. So what's your ideal distance to run? 50 like miles. 50 miles? Yep. I Something about that distance. The next day I can get up and go for a run without being too beat up, but at the same time, it's not, like, 50Ks are a little too short. You can, if you have a lot of marathon speed, which I'm not, I don't have a slow marathon by any means, but I definitely don't have, like, some top-end speed. Um, so if you have top-end, like, marathon speed, doing a 50k is uh, a little more in your wheelhouse but once you get up to that 50 mile distance it starts to spread out a little bit where you may have that great marathon speed but that doesn't mean you're going to do good in a 50 mile what do you run a 50 mile in like time wise I, obviously it depends on the course right. and a lot of other things but especially because they're trail races um, so I've gone anywhere from about 6 hours to I think my slowest is just under 9 hours Wow, that's a big... Big difference in course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yep. I didn't realize it was that big a spread. Mm-hmm. Just because of the hills, mainly? Or? <clears throat> yeah, and the, the nine-hour one was actually, there was snow on the course, too. And mm-hmm. It was just lots of big hills, lots of climbs, snow, and it was, uh, it's also a race that starts at midnight, so it was kind of a unique experience where you're, oh, wow. you are just running through the night, which definitely slows you down. Um, so, wow. yeah. <laughs> Is it lit up then, the trail? I mean, nope, is you, it just, moon, you just have headlights oh, that you okay. wear and try to... Actually, that was that was actually pretty early in my whole ultra running experiences, so I actually didn't have a headlamp. A lot of people, like, you can get these really nice headlamps now that you hardly know are there. Um, but I, I had a, a small little handheld flashlight, probably about, like, three or four inches long, that I had won at that first 50K I did as a prize. <laughs> and so it... Now, looking back, it's like I could probably hardly see anything. I don't know how I ran the race, but it was like, oh, I got this little flashlight. That'll work. Jeez. That's funny. That is entertaining. So would you prefer a trail run then over just a run on on the pavements any day? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. I was never a trail runner, but when I was at Kansas, I got more into running. And there was a place... Um, out by where I lived, that I would go just run the trails there, and it was so much more fun to do that because you had to uh, you had to pay attention. Right. Um, I'd much rather run. Than yeah, run but you just got to do a lot more things, and obviously it brought some more risks. I fell on my ass a couple times, but <laughs> yep. it was still I always enjoyed it more than just going for the flat pavement, whatever it is, run. So, so you talk about the difference with uh, marathon in the, the high end, what differentiates what makes a good, you know, ultra marathoner versus a good marathoner versus maybe someone at a, a different, even lower distance? You know, the lower distance you have to have, you just have to have a really good turnover, you have to have a really good kind of anaerobic base, be able to really push yourself through um, pain. It's a different, it's a different type of hurt. When you get to the longer stuff, there's still a lot of debate as to what I think makes a really good like ultra runner. Um, it's a lot of mental toughness because in training you never run that distance. Like mm-hmm. before my first 50 mile or you know the longest I'd run is 30 miles. You have to add 20 miles onto that. You know there's there's no way to really train for it like super well and to know that you're going to complete the distance. So 
you have to trust your training, be mentally tough, and just know that there's going to be really shitty parts of the of the race, parts that are awful. Mile 80 of a 100 miler is something else. Like there, <laughs> like you want to fall asleep so bad, <laughs> um, but you can't. Normally, it's like the middle of the night by that point. So I'd say. I'd say there's still a lot to learn about what makes a really good ultra runner, but I think that that mental toughness and knowing that it's going to hurt is kind of what makes it different. But yeah. what do you think about on those runs? Even even just the training runs versus the actual races, like are you, do you do headphones? Do you listen to stuff, or is it just you and your thoughts? Like just what? Me, me and the thoughts. Because I know my one and only half, like. I would plan on listening to a podcast or two during it just to help pass the time because that was my biggest thing is I would just get bored and my headphones died. So I got to run for two hours and change with my thoughts, which was not great. But <laughs> I can't imagine, you know, something that long. Like, what do you, I don't know, do you think about your form? Do you think about... It changes. Strategy? Yeah, it changes a lot. Um, <clears throat> you definitely think about strategy with the race. Like, all right, where am I at right now? Should I push this uphill? Should I take it easy? Um, you know, how am I feeling? How much have I eaten? Uh, do I need to add in a little extra calories? Am I kind of hitting a little bit of a slump? So there's definitely all those thoughts that go through your head, but you can only think about that stuff so much because if you get too entangled in that, you start really getting in your head like, oh, I didn't eat enough back there, I'm going to crash and burn, I pushed too hard early. You start thinking like that, then you're probably not going to finish the race. Right. Um, so I think being able to just, I don't know, go, you kind of disappear into your, to your thoughts, your mind starts wandering a little bit, maybe you're just looking at nature, especially with the trail races, and you're just kind of zoning out. Um, and then there's times when you start scheming. I know I've reviewed anatomy. <laughs> I've um, just thought about different things that I want to get done, different things that, oh, I got to put that on my to-do list. I got to, um, you know, oh, this or, you know, this is a great idea for getting something else done. And maybe sure. So you start, you kind of go through different ebbs and flows with it. Just like with the race, you have ups and downs. You have kind of different points in the race where you just think about different things and your mind just kind of goes. Hmm. To do this would be hard because I wouldn't be able to write it down. So I know. I'd probably yeah, forget it by the exactly. time. You do sometimes. I was out of the next mile yep. and then I would what was I thinking during that race? <laughs> yeah. Yep. yep. That definitely happens. <laughs> so are you seeing other uh, runners through, through the course of this race or is uh, what, how many people typically participate and are you just scattered? It's very variable on the different races. Um, you can have races where it's like an out and back, so you're going to see, maybe you don't see anybody on the way out if you're kind of in the front of the pack, and then on the way back, you run into everybody, say hi, um, which is always fun, you especially, no, typically not, <laughs> like, I mean, typically, <laughs> if it's, if it's uh, my buddy Jake, I might, but, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, for the most part, you know, you're just saying hi, good job, keep it up, um, and then now, now that I've been doing a lot of these ultras, especially around here for going on close to six years or so, getting close, yeah, um, you start running into people that you know pretty well, so it's like, oh, hey, good job, you know, oh, you're looking great, and you can obviously throw out their name, and it 
it starts to become a little bit of a closer-knit community with it, where early on, <laughs> it was just like, oh, hey, good job, and then as you pass somebody, you hear them say, oh, they're going to die, because, you know, they're, you're just some young kid out there running, and they, uh -huh. don't, they don't know how you're going to react to the distance or something, but, huh. um, yeah, it's, and then there's races where, like, the Superior 100, which is, was my first 100 that I completed, um, it's a point-to-point -point race, so you are completely by yourself, like, the entire time, unless you have a pacer or something with you, so then you don't, yeah, you don't see anybody, you're just out on the North Shore Lake Superior all by yourself, running, so. Pretty beautiful spot to run, I would imagine, though. Yeah, it is. It's one of the, one of my favorite places to go whenever I, it's a decent drive from across, but yeah. Um, okay. it's, yeah, it's gorgeous. So you say your longest run prior to your 50 was, what, 30, 30, 30 miles, miles and that, so? that was a race, too, so. Okay. I think the longest training run was probably 20 to 25. So is that typically still what you'll do for yep. your training runs, is you just kind of hit that distance and yep. kind of not beat up your body? Yeah, because exactly. Once you get past that 20, 25 mile mark, you start hurting yourself a little bit too much. If you, you know, if you have a down week coming up or something like that, maybe now I think the longest training runs I've ever hit are still that 30 miles or so uh, for a 100 miler. but Outside of that, yeah, my personal opinion is if you start going too much further, you're just doing more damage than... Makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. It's more about consistency in training. Um, it's like a whole different version of interval training. Right. Like I yeah. messed with it with, like, my half marathon, so just doing, slogging out the distance, doing, like, 10 200s was, like, week two of it. You right. know, to build the system, but not necessarily put on the miles, and then it obviously built up, but I think your longest run was maybe five miles, but I think it was, like, repeat 5Ks were, like, your biggest ones. Right. I feel like for you almost, it's, like, taking that and just extrapolating. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I Early on, before I knew a lot about physiology and mm -hmm. other stuff, it was a lot more about just mileage. Right. Like, strict weekly mileage was almost all I cared about. Um, and now it's definitely transformed into the weekly mileage is, it's cool to hit like a hundred mile a week, but it's more about getting those consistent hard efforts in, some harder workouts, trying to challenge other body systems and then just that straight aerobic portion, or portion of your training because you start to hit a little bit of a plateau. You can only run so much in a week, you know? Right. Like the most miles I ever put in a week was 150 and it like, but what was that doing for me? You know, I just kind of, used up a lot of time was really tired and well especially with yeah how your weeks because you, know, <laughs> right. you don't have anything else going on in your yeah. life right not so, doing this professionally yet right <laughs> so it it gets tough once you start pushing past that point so actually um i actually coach a fair amount of runners too um through trail transformation um it's just a company that jk and i kind of have going right now where i think we we're up to probably around 75 different runners in the area that wow. we're coaching um, and with that, we've, I've definitely seen a lot of people get very stuck in that, well, I'm just running that same pace day in and day out. And as soon as you throw in a different stimulus of doing like some interval type training, they see just crazy gains. And it's like, well, it's just cause you were kind of plateaued and you can only run, you know, that, that much in a week. And if you're not doing anything to add a different stimulus to the system, you're not improving. So, so what are some of the variables that you 
the different stimuli you mix up? Early in training, if it's further away from a race, you kind of get least specifics, like least race specifics. So it'd be like doing even like 200, 400 repeats, something that's like really out of the wheelhouse for a lot of people yeah. doing ultras, um, just to really build up that top end speed a little bit. And then maybe working from there after doing like a little period of that, working into more threshold type, um, lactic threshold for lack of a better way to say it, really just something where you're putting a harder, higher intensity effort for just a little bit longer. So whether it's like for a lot of trail races, because it's hard to put like a specific pace on something because the ver the terrain is so variable, maybe you do like a 10 minute threshold run. So you just have like, if you have a 10 point RPE scale or rating of perceived exertion, you're feeling like you're at like a seven or eight out of 10 and you're just holding that for 10 minutes um, throughout like a trail run or something like that. And then working into like the traditional tempo runs where you're half hour, hour of a sustained harder effort um, closer to like that six or so out of the on the 10 point scale but hmm. yeah it's kind of just going through periods of that like periodization just like with weight training sure um, so so how do you base your effort all on RPE especially with trail races okay yeah. um, with if you're training for a marathon you can get a little bit more specific with races or with speeds mm -hmm. that you want to hit because yeah. you have like a goal time or something for like sure. that um, but yeah with trail races that a lot of that goes out the window and you have to rely on pretty basic system yeah well, I know it a works. lot of people have had a lot of success with RPE yep. yeah. that's what Andy uses yeah. for all his he gives Part you basic race. ideas but everything else is on RPE yep. for your main list you can get numbers but everything else is yeah, well, even that is on RPE alright and every day is so different too if yeah. you have a bad workout you still just want to work at that intent, that perceived intensity it works out pretty well so what is your RPE at on race day I mean, do you try to keep it at a certain level? Is that what you're trying to do, just to keep that steady pace? Or Yeah, you know, it, it turns into a little bit of a tempo run, I'd say, um, where maybe you're at, say, a 6 or 7 out of 10, and you're just kind of trying to maintain that. But based on the different races, uphill is obviously going to spike that RPE a little bit. Downhill, you can take a breath sometimes. Uh, some, of the, some of the big races that are really hilly, you get some of the really fast guys that are just bombing down the downhills and it's like well that, that's going to hurt too it's going to be tough and you're just kind of pushing it the whole time but something's something switches on race day too like for instance um, right now I'm training for grandma's marathon and I could do a 10 mile run at 540 pace in training and it feels like it's a pretty high effort um, but you on race day I can hit that pace for 10 miles and it doesn't feel as hard there's always something that changes with competition mm -hmm, sure it's all mental i suppose especially with an event like that where there's such a large amount of participants and it right. has to add to it a little bit absolutely hmm. you referenced nutrition before a little bit and i know we've talked about it a lot just in our own but you made the big switch a couple years ago now Kind of going from traditional three years, three years? Yeah. kind of traditional diet, you know, a good blend of everything to really going. I don't want to say keto, unless you would say it's keto, but yeah, on those premises where you kind of dropped carbs fairly significantly, if not at all. I think you have a few carbs. Um, yeah. So when I 
And how did that go? Because yeah. I remember it was not fun yeah, was, from what you said when yeah. you first did it. Yeah, so when I first did it, it was after my the first time I finished a 100-miler. I, I had known about it um, through a guy named Zach Bitter, who's a big ultra athlete. He's actually yeah. from Wisconsin, too. Uh, he's the U.S. record holder for the fastest 100-miler. Um, but I was actually in a race with him a few years, or that summer before I made the switch. And I just had a conversation with him about it during the race, just like, because I knew he had kind of started it, and he just, we just started talking about it. Um, and I got really interested, started doing some research. Um, and then I was like, you know, something worth trying, especially after my race season ended that year. Mm -hmm. So I decided to kind of switch. And yeah, at first, the first like two months, you could tell that, I mean, plus I was coming off of a 100 miler. So yeah runs aren't going to go super well either way but um there was definitely something missing i felt like i just didn't have anything left in my legs sometimes and then all of a sudden it's not like it just like one day oh now i feel great it was like oh i kind of feel i felt pretty good yesterday that run went pretty well and then oh, hey that that run went pretty well too it's all of a sudden you just start noticing the little changes in your runs where you mm -hmm. start feeling a little bit better and then you start thinking about it, kind of reflecting, and it's like, oh, I don't feel as tired throughout the day. Um, I feel like I don't have any big energy dips. Um, and I'm like, oh, this must be working. And then my first couple races that year, I remember, like, I, my first 50 milers that year was in North Carolina. It was on a beach. Um, so it was a bunch of sand running, which is not fun. Oh, no. Yeah. I can't imagine that. Yeah. And Jeez. I, I remember I didn't have to eat nearly as much as I normally do in races, which for me has been, been the biggest performance booster because in past races, you know, some races you just don't get your nutrition right and you get really bad GI upset, and I feel like that's definitely been not completely eliminated but definitely limited with having to eat less because you just feel like you have more consistent energy throughout a run, especially the long-distance running. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I've a lot of done a lot of research and try to do it right. There's definitely days where you can increase the carbohydrate content. Something that um, so this this guy Zach Bitter, he actually just came out with three separate blog posts how he kind of almost periodizes nutrition, mm -hmm. just like you periodize your training. So like with early phases of training where you're just kind of doing a lot of base miles stuff like that. He will be very strict with the high fat, you know, less than 50 grams of carbs a day. That's the number that gets thrown out a lot. Um, and he eats a very clean diet as well. Um, but then as he works into higher intensity phases of training, he'll start introducing a few kind of clean carbohydrates like sweet potatoes, beets, and, and things like that. Just uh, use it, he kind of uses it as like his octane fuel. He says, my body is really uh -huh. good at using fat but I still know that carbohydrates have a place in your body and in training, so I'm not necessarily having a lot of them, but just having that little bit so that you have that little extra kick come for a hard workout or a hard race or something. Kind of echoes what Tom Farrell said a little bit where um, we interviewed him. He used to be one of my athletes at Oklahoma State, okay. but he's running for Nike now. Or he doesn't subscribe to one type of diet, but there are certain days and things where he'll not finish the day with carbs because it's a lower intensity run. 
uh, the next morning or something like that where, yeah, it's just, it kind of kind of varies in terms of what he's eating, but right. strategic maybe is the best word for sure. it. So, yep. interesting. Very interesting. So what do you grab for uh, your nutrition during a race then? You, you use the carbohydrates on race day. I use a little bit more fat-based products too. Um, so like I'll have like uh, almond butter or something like that a lot of times in race days, that little Justin's nut butter things are just going to make a little single serve. So they're a lot like a gel or a goo that people use on race day, just a little higher in that fat content, um, especially with longer races. But something else, um, so I'm sponsored by Silver Star Nutrition, and they make a product called their Endurance Formula that has not only just the carbohydrates you need so easy to digest on race day when you're running and pushing yourself a little bit, but it also has some avocado extract and a few other things to help with blood flow and stuff like that, but um, that avocado extract kind of gives you enough fat content in it to kind of slow that digestion down just enough where it's not as big of a spike to the system as like strict carbs would be, but it kind of is that sustained energy release sure. a little bit. Um, and that's worked really well, kind of sits in my stomach really well. Nice. Everybody's different, a little different on race yeah. and you have to find what works for you, but that's been a, a cool product and it's very clean, kind of mm-hmm. pro- very few ingredient type products. So yeah, that's that's been really good for me. Very nice. Kind of like throwing a log on the fire versus a, a pile of cardboard or something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Good analogy. I hadn't heard that one before. Heard that from a book. Primal body, primal mind. Uh, originally nutritionals, Logan Gelbert, yep. he has uh, like a cocoa java nut butter. Yeah. Super good. Uh, it's like almond butter, and then I think it has coconut butter and a little coffee in there to it as well. But it's also pretty clean and it's nice. It's just a little single serve packet like that, and just a, a clean source of higher fat type energy thing, I guess. That'd be yummy. I'd try yeah, that. Super good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had one sample. It was good. <laughs> That's all the more I got. Um, I mean, we had a couple of random questions. You know, if you could start your own dream running team, who would you have take her helm out of that? You know, so I, I thought about it from a coach standpoint, and one of the coaches that I follow and have a decent amount of respect for is Steve Magnus. Um, yeah. He coaches a lot of elite level runners, and he also coaches a, at a D1 school that I'm blanking on right now. But um, he, yeah, he's done some really cool research and put together some really cool books, and seems to mm. to have some good knowledge in the distance running area. So he actually <clears throat> he's coming out with a new book early this next month, I think. Um, called Peak Performance That's I'm looking forward to, to reading. Um, so, yeah, he's he'd be my coach, but as far as athletes, I think any distance running team should have Max King on it. <laughs> he's, he's getting a little older, but that guy has the craziest PRs, everything from 3K steeplechase on up to 100 milers. So he's... Wow. That's a broad range. Yeah, he's, he's insane. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, he just took second at some big international 100K like a week or so ago, and it's like, he just won't quit. And I, I ran against him in a 50-miler that I shouldn't have been running because I was actually a little beat up, um, but he 
crushed the course record in that, and then I just this year raced against him technically. I don't, never really saw him yeah. <laughs> um, in a 50K out in Washington, and he, again, broke, broke came in, broke his own, own course record for that 50K, the Chuck Nut 50K. That, it was a super competitive race, and he just destroyed it. The guy's fun to watch, for sure. So. Um... Yeah, uh, the other kind of one I had with that, just uh, stealing this from another podcast or an idea, of, you know, it was somebody that is like really good in the ultra distance, like running world that maybe you wouldn't think would be, and and why if you could, if there's somebody like that out I'd, there, you know, like yeah, I guess like Tom Brady in the NFL kind of example, like obviously he's done very well, but. Everybody looks back at his combine picture, and it's like he just pulled the guy off the street. Like, there was nothing. You know, he's not the cut and jacked and yeah. whatnot, and now he's probably going to go down as one of the best of all time. I mean, when you look into it, a lot of the, the top ultra runners definitely have some pretty competitive, good background where you're like, oh, okay, that's why you're pretty good. Um, two people that I thought of would be the guy I mentioned earlier, Zach Bitter. Um, okay. because he was a, a D3 track runner. never I mean, he was never bad, but he never had any spectacular races or anything like that. And now he's the American record holder for fastest 100-miler, which he did on a 400-meter track, um, which would not have been fun. Oh, but, oh yeah. my yeah. goodness. Yeah, so... What's that? 400, 400 laps? Mm-hmm. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right around 7-minute pace, just consistent. So. How bad would your left leg hurt? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I think they Did, might. I think they might switch directions. Yeah, you feel that? I, I think, think so. they almost have to. Yeah. I, yeah. You'd almost never recover from that. Right. So, just because of where he came from, and he's definitely had a, a little bit more success in ultra world than I have. But I would say, like, I like to to think of myself as kind of being him, not only because he's from Wisconsin, but also because. I was never spectacular in track in high school or anything like that, and just kind of fell in love with those longer runs and realized I was pretty good at it. Um, so, yeah, he's he's probably number one. But uh, number two, kind of the guy that's really hit the scene lately, is, his name's Jim Walmsley, yeah. and he he ran for Air Force, which mm-hmm. D1. So he he was a good runner, but all of a sudden he just kind of, he like just came out of nowhere in the ultra world and he just started running these crazy fast PRs at all the big races, especially in the U.S., where I'm, the guy is undefeated in races except for except for one um, in the last, like, two, two years, close to two years now. And he's broken, like, every course record that you could think of. Um, the one that he didn't is the Western States 100, which is kind of like the granddaddy of all the 100-milers, especially in the U.S. Um, and he was on course to break the course record last year, and then he took a wrong turn at mile 93 oh. and ended up just walking it in after that. So he uh, <laughs> he's vowed oh. this year to come back and finish under 14 hours, which would crush the course record. Um, and that's actually coming up fairly quick here this summer, so it'll be fun to watch him. But when you look at him, I've, I've read an article that talks about like the ideal ultra runner body type is like, Five nine, five seven, five ten, somewhere in that range, kind of lower. Yeah. Um, five foot. Um, not a, and he's like over six foot, 
really tall, lanky guy that you don't think would be, like, the ideal mountain runner, but he just floats. Like, the guy's incredible to watch run. He, there's a lot of videos Crazy. of him running, but he's, yeah, he's some somebody that you wouldn't necessarily think would be amazing at the ultra distance, especially not in some of the harder technical races, but he's just been killing it, so. Man. Yeah. Wow. That's a disheartening feeling, I would imagine, once he realized 93. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he, he handled it like a professional. He did he did a really good job, but it part, part of it, too, is his pacer that was supposed to be with him ate a bad burrito and had to drop out oh. before that, so he was kind of by himself. And just, yeah. Are the trails pretty well marked, typically, where it's easy to tell, or typically, are there spots a lot there, of times? There's like, some speculation that an arrow got moved or something, but... Um, most races are fairly well marked. We don't make too many wrong turns. Um, if you're not paying attention, though, it's easy to miss something. Yeah, I so, can believe it. And so, you know, like, I talked about what do you think about you just kind of zone out, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait, where am I? Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen a flag in a while. So. <laughs> huh. yeah, my first 100K, I took a wrong turn and ran 10 extra miles, so. There you Boy, go. Yeah. Jeez. Just had to make it difficult. Yep. Yeah. What's the longest amount of time that you've ran consecutively? 22 hours and 52 minutes. That was the first 100 miles, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? It's crazy. No wonder why you wanted to take a nap. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I gotta take a nap even when I don't <laughs> do anything for 22 hours. And it's, it's weird to see the sunrise twice in the same run. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that, that I believe. Um, tying in, you know, you did your undergrad in athletic training, you're finishing up PT school, you're basically done, you gotta do some clinicals, yep. right? How has that been in terms of just kind of having that background knowledge with what you're doing otherwise? Um, I would assume that has helped, but I don't want to, uh, assume. Yeah, um. It, it definitely has helped taking care of myself. Um, with all the running and miles, like, there's definitely aches and pains that pop up, and having some sort of base knowledge on, A, how to treat it, or B, what it might be, it doesn't scare you as much. There's a lot of runners that don't have that background that, you know, oh my gosh, my foot hurts a little bit, like, I need to go get an MRI right Stress now. Right, right, right. Like I'm, I'm yeah. done. I, get it. I hear you. So, Having that background knowledge has definitely helped me personally in that. And then also, it gives you a good background in training and physiology. So I've that background has allowed me to help my own training and also start coaching people, just being able to know um, when to push people, when not to, all that stuff. So it's helped me in a lot of ways, um, for sure. And hopefully, hopefully more and more, too, as I... You know, I get to take more continuing ed courses and stuff like that as my fun. yeah career advances. So, who are some of the people that you kind of follow? Is there anybody that's like, hey, um, I know like Ben Greenfield is really big in endurance yep. stuff. Is there any others? Not that you follow him, but that you follow, kind of that fit in your world. Yeah, I talked about that Steve Magnus. Mm -hmm. um, he's he's fun to follow. Just Houston, by the way. Houston, just there you yeah. Yep, yep. There's just interesting. I knew it was somewhere down Houston there. Houston has a super strong no, distance but, program. Not to say that yeah. that has anything to do with him. He 
lot of variables. Yeah, I can't know. imagine Houston's a great place to train for distance running, though. Probably be kind of hot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it could be rough. But yeah, no, he he's been fun just because he does release a lot of that like evidence-based type mm-hmm. stuff for training. Um, when it comes to the kind of high-fat diet stuff, Jeff Olick is always a go-to name just because he's done a lot of research in that area, especially with distance running. Um, So I try to follow him and read a lot of his research and read some of his books. Um, One, a lady that I actually just, speaking to the nutrition that I just recently found, actually just browsing Barnes & Noble, was uh, Leanne Vogel. She she is like this apparently hardcore keto diet person, has a couple books on it, how to properly eat with a keto diet. Um, and she also talks about using the carbohydrates for training purposes. Uh, but so I don't know a lot of, a whole lot about her. I just actually discovered her this week, so I'm um, looking more and more into her. Um, outside of that, you know, all sorts of people here and there. Kelly Sturette for the PT stuff, like mobility, mobility. Yeah, um, yeah I, those are some of the names that popped to my mind right now. So. Cool. So when you uh, finish up with school here, then stepping into Grand Bluff and treating runners with dynamic, or is that kind of that's my where you're, that's my hope? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I've it's been nice having Jake there already because I've been able to talk to him a lot about it. Um, I haven't talked as much personally with Matt and Diane, but I know Jake has talked to them on my behalf about it. So it's definitely in the works and hopefully something that'll work out the I'll definitely hopefully work a little bit in Grand Bluff um, I have some ideas about doing a little bit of uh, traveling type PT stuff in this area just especially with all the coaching clients that Jake and I have and hopefully we'll we'll get some more um, being able to go to them to treat them because you get a lot of them that are actually we have a lot that are in the Twin Cities area and it's like well I, I know some people to send you to up there if you have an ache and pain come up, but it'd be really nice if I could just come up there and chat with you or right. change you myself. So um, having a, a place to practice out of the Twin Cities is something that we're kind of taking a peek at so that maybe a couple days just travel up there, work with some people. Nice. Um, and beyond beyond that, just yeah, trying to, to fall in and, and help them as much as possible because I definitely like the model that they practice under. So. Yeah, that's my plan. That's awesome. Yeah, it's nice to have that experience of running and knowing your body and the athletic training and kind of tying all that into it, you know already stepping in. Right. I I know I had a mentor once tell me that you know just because of who you are and what you do, you're gonna have patients or people that want to come and see you just because it's runners like to be treated by runners. They like to know that you know what they're going through, you can relate to them. I think everybody does, not just runners. I think it's, if you're in any sort of exercise, or even if you don't exercise a lot, I just think you like being treated by someone that can relate to you sure. very well, so. Makes sense. Yeah. do a whole other podcast. Yep. What <laughs> strength coaches and ATs and PTs should practice some of what they preach. Yeah. yeah. We'll save that one for another day, but going to the clinical press ones? That sounds good. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of books. Do you have any other book recommendations? Um, I'm trying to think. 
those are so the science of running by Steve Magnus is his current book that that's out that has opened up some stuff to to training um, for from the PT standpoint the book why I hurt um, is is a, a good one I, I think actually that's haven't heard of that one I think I that's either. what it's called I have it huh. on the list somewhere yeah why do I hurt by Adrian Lowe it was kind of just cool talking about different pain stuff um, interesting book, I have to check that one out yeah so. I'm trying to think of other ones that come to mind. This Leanne Vogel, the book that I saw on, um, on, uh, on the shelf at Barnes and Noble, was called. I wrote it down too because I'm thinking about grabbing it. Uh, the Keto Diet by Leanne oh, Vogel. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and then um, that Jeff Folick, The Art and Science of Low Carb Performance. Um, that's one of his books. He has a couple books out, but just kind of gets into not only the science background of it, but then a little bit on how to implement it into your daily life. So, For sure. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what is something that you believe that others may not? It doesn't necessarily have to be health-related. I know one. Running 50 miles is fun. Yeah. <laughs> yep, there's that. That would be that small group thing that Alex Earl referenced. A small group, um, relatively speaking, that... I think that anyone can run a half marathon. I don't. I know there's definitely people that think that's way too long and that's silly. Um, but I think that distance that just about anybody can get up and go out the door and run a half marathon with very little training. Not saying it's going to feel good. Not saying it's going to feel good for the next couple of days. But um, I think humans and everyone in general has a lot more potential to do that than they think they do, and they're kind of just intimidated by it. But. Yeah. That, that mental component of getting past that barrier. Right. Yeah, there's, there's some good stuff out there on your mind will shut you down way before your body actually has to give in. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I think like you said, it's just the dauntingness of it that your body has the capacity that's beyond what any of us really know. Right. I, I can see the uncertainty of not doing it before, too. Like you had said with your first 50 motor, I mean, you had never done it before. You don't know what to expect. I'm sure, you know, after mile 30. So. I was just going to say, I, mile 30, that first one was like, what happens now? <laughs> like, I have to keep going? <laughs> I'm a little over halfway. How did that feel, by the way, out of the kind of question, but was it difficult, more difficult than you thought it would be, or was it just like continuing next, that pace and you were okay? The or? next 10 miles were tough mentally, just like, okay, this is officially the furthest I've gone, uh, should, I, should I slow up a little bit, like how much do I leave in the tank, um, and then once, in most of these really long races, once you get to the last 10 miles of the race, it's like, all right, I'm on the home stretch, like, I'm going to finish, so let's make it hurt. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, all right, in your area of expertise, how would you make something that is complicated simple? I, I think you've kind of mentioned it a little bit, uh, but if you... I, I mean, I feel like there's a couple ways to take it. Um, one, one thing, especially in physical therapy, athletic training type stuff with talking about running form, um, a lot of people try to make running form way more complicated than I think it has to be. I think all it comes down to is the forward lean. Um, if you can practice having a little bit more of that forward lean at your hips um, and your torso, 
you're going to be able to work on the good form. You know, we talk about the cadence, the foot strike, everything like that, but the basic, everything comes back to trying to get someone to lean forward a little bit. So um, I think trying to make all that stuff a lot simpler than it is, just work on the forward lean. Agree with that. Yeah, definitely agree with that. You can really get caught up in a lot of the, the small things very easily and then just overanalyze and yeah. I, I like simplifying it. Yep. The one I want to counter from it is not worrying so much about the foot strike pattern as long as it's occurring underneath your center of gravity. Yep. So whether it's more of a heel strike or a midfoot or a forefoot. That, and that ties directly into that forward lean. You have to or else you're going to face plant. Yeah. Uh, if you're not putting it or you're going to hurt something because if you're leaning forward and reaching out, that doesn't yeah. really work. Yeah, 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 the mechanics of it. So, yeah, uh, I like that a lot. Do you agree with uh, the foot strike thing? That it doesn't matter really as much then? I've been leaning more that way um, just because you see, like, so I worked at Grand Bluff running downtown and, you know, you start filming enough people as you're trying to fit them for shoes and you start, I mean, over, well over 90% of people that go through the store have a heel strike and it's like, I know why, you know, if you think about it, why the forefoot or midfoot strike sounds like it'd be advantageous, but really bottom line is you're trying to, if you if you have a heel strike, you can still have a heel strike and then still be utilizing your glutes and your hamstrings, kind of that posterior chain a little bit better and still have good form and take the proper stress where it should be taken. Um, and yeah, the more, the more people I've watched, it's like, well, if over 90% of people do it, there has to be some reason outside of just the fact that they wear cushioned shoes that they're heel striking. So you heel strike? No. Midfoot. Midfoot? Yeah. That's... I'm I, glad I changed from when I was running. Once I got better at it, I think it made a world of difference. Was midfoot? Yeah, or mid-forefoot. Some, something that wasn't heel, but I had gone down to a four-millimeter drop, so it wasn't a big cushion in the back, which made it easier to transition, and I'd always tell them I was cheating when I was trying, wasn't leaning forward enough because my calves would hurt so bad the next day because I was basically trying to run on my tiptoes, yep. but when I would switch and really concentrate on the leaning forward and just using more of your hamstring is just kind of cycling your leg through, so it's just like tapping, because you're basically just trying to not fall over. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't hurt so much the next day, and like, my joints never hurt as bad as... Yep when I would just go out and run with no real thought of what I was actually doing. Yeah, and if, if you lean forward and you start landing on that midfoot, great. If you lean forward and you're still landing on the heel, fine. I mean, I have some close friends that are very good competitive runners that have great forward lean, great form, that I, I know heel strike very, very, very evidently, um, but they don't really have too many injury issues and stuff like that. It's just... They hit every other part you're supposed to hit, I guess, mm -hmm. in the form. So. Did you switch to a? Were you naturally midfoot or? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, so, like my freshman year of college, I read a bunch of uh, the Lieberman research stuff about all the the natural running and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually wrote a paper about it and thought that midfoot strike was like what you had to do, but I never like consciously force myself to switch I think I might have just already been doing it because um, I don't remember like uh, okay today I'm going to start midfoot striking and I need to practice it so 
yeah, I think I was doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, what would be three take-home tips you'd have for people? Um, In terms of health and fitness yeah. and whatnot. I, I wish that runners would not think that they only have to run and realize that lifting and other cross-training things definitely have benefit. And then vice versa, I wish people that were really big in the weight room would also realize that that aerobic training with running and different things is, has some value to it in their weightlifting more than they want to admit sometimes. Um, so that'd be, I guess, one, one take home. Another thing, if you're really stale in your training, I think it's time to switch up. Like if it's, you're just not excited about stuff anymore, making sure that you have a new race that you're training for, or changing something up in your programming, whether it's, you know, you've only been doing that same distance, same speed over and over again, and now maybe you're doing something a little bit more higher intensity, just something to switch it up. And then third, and probably most importantly, is that consistency is the key, whether it's in training, life, nutrition. If you're consistent with what you're doing, you're going to see benefits um, over the long term. Sure. Most influential purchase under hundred dollars, whether it's running related, PT related, or just related to knitting or cooking. Uh, I, something that people don't like to talk about is the proper lubrication. <laughs> um, so just having like some like they make little deodorant like sticks. Uh, there's a lot of different brands out there, but just some sort of skin lube so that you don't get chafing during your okay. race because chafing is the worst if you're part way through a race. Oh, oh I yeah. imagine. Yeah. I, I could see how that'd be worth its weight in gold. Yeah. Anything you'd tell yourself if you could go back and maybe even, you know, five years or heading into, into undergrad or something? Um, there were two things I thought of. One was squatting better. When I was very early in high school, it was all about putting the most weight on the bar that you could, especially so actually my freshman year of high school I played football and um, it was just like oh I gotta get stronger um, and when I look back at my form when I was doing it I know it was bad because once I learned how to squat properly I was really bad at it again um, so I wish I would have learned how to do that a lot better because I think it would have helped in a lot of different areas um, and then more the education route would be getting better at the self-teaching and making sure you're reading articles reading different books that interest you in your area because in PT and AT to a point, the whole point of the pro or the, the training is to train you to be a generalist in the field where if you know you have an area of interest and you want to specialize in it, like you have to teach yourself. You can't just rely on everybody else to kind of feed you the information because it's they won't. So I wish I would have been a little more diligent about it early on, making sure it was part of what I did with my education, so. Sounds like you've caught up in a hurry though. Yeah, so. I've been trying. You're doing okay. Very good. Where, Where can people find you? Where do you want to plug? Um, as far as finding me, I have to say Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Twitter handles Run Horse Run. Um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like that. <laughs> have an Instagram, just search Michael Borst. I actually Googled myself the other day, and most of that stuff pops up pretty quick. Okay. We'll link it all up. Yeah. Um, and actually something that I'm going to work on starting is a blog. 
Um, okay. So Silver Star Nutrition, uh, it's going to be through them because they want me to start blogging about some of my different races and nice. just anything I have thoughts on, um, especially leading up to this year because I have one really big race in Europe that I'll be running that um, they're helping me get out to, so definitely going to promote promote them and promote myself while I'm out there. So, yes. Very cool. Where in Europe? Uh, it's part of the UTMB, so the Ultra Trail Mont Blanc race series. It's out kind of in France, Italy, and Switzerland is actually where the race goes through, and out around Mont Blanc. And actually, somebody corrected me, it's Mont Blanc when you say it okay. in their language. But um, <laughs> it's, so I'm doing the CCC, which is 100K, so it starts, I believe, in Italy, goes through Switzerland, and finishes in France, in Chamonix. France. Sounds amazing. Yeah, it's a gorgeous race. It has like 20,000 feet of climbing in the 100K. So. Jeez. <laughs> oh. Fun. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for checking out this episode of Clinically Pressed. Go to clinicallypressed.com for full show notes and links to everything that was covered in this episode. While you're there, you have access to all of our episodes, insights, and shorts. You can find Clinically Pressed on YouTube and any podcast outlet. If you could give us a rating, thumbs up, or review on how we are doing, we would greatly appreciate it. To get more free content delivered to your inbox, sign up for the Total Athletic Therapy newsletter. You'll get direct links to all new Clinically Pressed episodes, reviews on some of the latest research in health and performance, and links to related podcasts and other items meant to help you make the complicated simple and optimize performance. Thank you for listening and see you next episode.